0: I have no idea about Sober Cinema, so you gotta give me a quick cliff notes version. The scotch
1: on the rocks. Please, any scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh single malt. Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe a blend Gow. any glen. I'm on! I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? Just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred.
2: So the basic setup is, uh, and this one's a little different. It's a little bit, a little bit of a cheat, but I have sort of a, a way to <laughs> talk us through it. Is that we take like a mainstream release and then a forgotten film that came out on the same day. So yeah. The cheat this time is that Ooh, yeah. All the Money in the World had a lot of hype for other reasons, which we'll get into. Yes. And then after it came out, it's it seems like after that sort of spectacle, the actual film itself is kind of forgotten. And Phantom Thread, even though it only opened to on four screens on the same day, it <laughs> seems, at least in pop culture that I'm aware of, it seems to be more well-regarded and well-known. So that's that's kind of really? the flip on this one. Okay, yeah. all right. I would. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. little we'll, we'll get into Don't it. argue with me, guest. What are you? What are you <laughs> coming on here?
1: have <laughs> well, you call on Reynolds, there's nothing I can say to get your attention aimed back at me. Is there? I cannot
2: begin my day with a confrontation. Please. I'm delivering
1: the dress today, and I can't take up space of the confrontation. I simply don't have time for confrontations.
2: All right, so joining us for this episode of Sober Cinema is an expert on Sober Cinema, Webbist, who oh is <laughs> such a fan that 30 seconds prior, he's like, What have you roped me into, Mike? What am I talking on? What's the setup of the show? And honestly, I don't think you're too far removed from the average listener that just clicks play <laughs> and is like, I don't know what this is. So thank you for joining
0: us. I guess you're going to class no, up have... the joint a little bit. Class up. We'll see. Well, I know that I'm adding more diversity to this completely. <laughs> you know. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Looks like a PTA film up in here
2: oh is that i don't I, i'm gonna take that as a compliment though because <laughs> if they could actually see us we do we do not look like the house of woodcock here at all i mean josh so no offense josh you do have a gold record behind you though
0: yeah
2: that's a that's a beatles gold record
0: oh my gosh
2: you should have just claim that as your not. own that's a sober sober <laughs> cinema <laughs> gold record I was all right there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> All right, so, Webb, uh, you don't currently have a podcast of your own, but you and I have, like, multiple podcasts we always kick around about launching, and then we never do. So this is just another way for me to, like, guilt you into doing that at some point.
0: Oh, no, no. The thing is, I love recording. And the the thing is, I put an insane amount of pressure on myself with every single thing that I try to do. Like, everything has to be Citizen Kane. Like, nothing can be...
2: You, you know, come to the right place, <laughs> Cinema. Here it is,
0: exactly. And so I, I just take too long of my work, and then uh, you know balancing all the extracurricular stuff that I do in terms of adult responsibilities. Um, but I love doing this, and and um, I, there are so many like unpublished uh, recordings that I have like on my computer that probably won't you know won't come of anything. So I'm glad that th- this allows not only like, you think you're guilting me into it, but this really helps me uh, um to obtain some kind of pathos like i, I really do feel uh, um like i'm contributing finally like i feel like i'm always letting you down josh
2: do you feel like an insane amount of pressure now for the our our normal sober cinema that <laughs> we have to give this man an audience an audience of like 12 people including us yeah
1: yeah <laughs> What what I am reminded of is a particular dressmaker who has that same meticulous <laughs> desire for quality. Look at that, such a and, professional host. And you know, I guess, Mark, yeah. that would make you the uh, the poisoner <laughs> that, that has to like <laughs> yeah. nurture and to back back to health. <laughs> so. Well,
2: uh, with that sassy mouth of yours, I'm going to say you're Cyril, Josh. Yeah, <laughs> already I'm coming out to like both those. Yeah. All right, so we'll we'll get into it. So in this episode, we're going back to uh, one year ago as of the release of this uh, episode for the weekend of December 29th through January 1st, when all the money in the world opened wide on over 2000 screens, uh, but came in seventh place, uh, grossing only $7 million. And then the um, soon to be best picture nominated Phantom Thread opened on a whopping four screens. Uh, but pulled in almost uh, 300 grand. And so for these two, as I was sort of, um, attempting to explain and not totally convincing our guests at the beginning, my idea was for the premise of this show, all the money in the world was the mainstream release. It was the one that I think the general public would have been aware of, maybe not for the right reasons because Mm -hmm. they had already seen a trailer with Kevin Spacey. Uh, and then that's sort of what dominated the conversation uh, about this film. Very impressive that I think starting like Thanksgiving week, yeah, uh, Ridley Scott like refilmed an entire segment of the film with this one character that would be replaced by Christopher Plummer, who would be nominated for his efforts. Uh, also very impressive. Uh, but I think initially Phantom Thread, you know, would have been the forgotten film. Maybe would have appealed to a very small segment of cinephiles uh, but as I said, getting the Best Picture nom, uh, it is my assertion that at least, <laughs> in when I talk to people that I guess are somewhat into movies, that they're at least aware of Daniel Day Lewis as <laughs> this mm-hmm. dressmaker sort of asshole. And I yeah. don't know, I don't know if I've had a conversation with anyone just casually about all the money in the world, where they've cited a specific actor scene. Except, is that the one that Kevin Spacey was in? Like that's so it's kind of interesting. So I'll leave it up to you. Which which one would you all like to dive into first? We usually do the mainstream release, but this this time it's kind of a toss up.
0: Well, I think uh, um, we yeah let's do the mainstream release. And and just to add to your point, the negative. a press beforehand. The movie was really bookended with negative press on, on the back end as well, with the amount of money that Mark Wahlberg was making versus Michelle Williams. So there was pre- there was a very small window opportunity for people to really enjoy the film on its own uh, on its own merits, and and I don't think that ever happened, including myself. I'll just stay on brand for Sober Cinema and
2: say I can't really blame Marky Mark for his – or his <laughs> agent would, for for uh, spending my holiday weekend uh, reshooting because you cast someone that was uh, hmm. a bit handsy, I guess would be the polite way to put <clears> it. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to give it back. But he did eventually, uh, I believe, donate that to yeah. uh, like Time's Up, I think, some sort of – It's like their defense yeah. fund or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So uh, I felt that was maybe a little bit unfair
1: just because – That was just in his contract, his agent worked out. And Michelle Williams, I think, volunteered to do it. For like mm-hmm. it was like a thousand dollars, I think it was like the minimum that
0: was required by yeah. the union or whatever. It's one of those
2: things where I don't blame either actor. I do blame no. Michelle Williams' agent, though. Yeah, <laughs> the well, I believe. They,
0: I believe it's the same agent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that guy probably Not has something anymore. to answer to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel
0: like I, I don't quote me on it, but I remember reading that. So, well, whatever the case was, but yeah, you're right. It was it was kind of a mess. Uh, yeah. What did you guys think uh, upon your initial? If you guys rewatched you know, the first, the first watch, this was a first watch for me. Josh, had you oh, okay. watched uh, all the money in the world before?
1: No, uh, this was my first viewing. Um, it was definitely uh-huh. one of those situations where, uh, as as Mike alluded to earlier, the there was all the talk about it, and then silence after it came out, and. Mm. I genuinely try to be open minded enough to still check out movies even if they're not raved about, but it just seemed like that movie fell flat just in terms of nobody was excited about it. There was no enthusiasm being spoken about it, and I just I, I had no interest to be honest. From all the, I blame fallout. kind of myself too because uh, as someone that follows
2: films and in particular like you know it's a new Ridley Scott movie, I should mm-hmm. I don't I don't really know why I didn't go see it in theaters, but I know I was like interested and sort of engaged with like the process of it. Like, wow, that's really impressive that he's going to pull this off. And the movie comes out in like four weeks. Like, how are they going to accomplish this? Well, and
1: also there's no guarantee that he is going to pull it off. I mean, I think my yeah. assumption probably was like, Oh, that's probably going to end up being a mess, you know, mm. and wasn't necessarily in a hurry to see that either.
2: Yeah. Webb, I wonder if that's something that film geeks maybe just got too in into was just this sort of like <laughs> magician's trick and maybe a general public we're like, oh, this is damaged goods. This is not the film they
0: intended to make, and why do right. I want to see, like, take two? And and with, uh, I don't know if it was this, I think this was before Justice League. It just feels like the last year has been so long. But you hear a lot of that, especially with DC, uh, with uh, the concept of reshoots has immediately got a negative stigma. I This is my second time watching it, but I'm watching it completely awake. Uh, I did, before movie pass took a complete (laughs) nosedive, you know, the heyday, I was like, yeah, I want to see it. It's Ridley Scott. I think he was just coming off Alien Covenant, which I really loved. Um, Another one was uh, divisive. Um, And and I really did respond to Christopher Plummer's stuff in the first viewing. Everything Mm -hmm. else, not so much. But I'm interested to see what you you guys thought uh, in your first viewings. I thought it was... uh...
2: A nice, <laughs> like, <laughs> Sunday... <laughs> Webb can tell I'm trying to be, like, gracious yeah. and kind here. Um, Absolutely. I think I watched it the way I would have wanted to watch it. I think if I would seen yeah. it theatrically, I, I don't think I would have been that into it. Uh, so I'm kind of glad I didn't rush out during the holiday season a year ago to yeah. see it. But I watched it on... Um, stars as i was like uh going through all my subscriptions like man i'm wasting a lot of money on stuff i need to cut things (laughs) and so i was like all right i'm canceling stars uh tomorrow what's what's some stuff on here that i can now watch Mm -hmm. since i've already paid for it this was one of them i'm like okay i gotta you know i've already bought it sold yeah and i watched it like a sunday afternoon but it felt um and i don't know if it came out or i don't even know how it was received but i know they were also racing against the clock uh because this is about John Paul Getty and the the kidnapping, the ransom and the refusal to pay for uh, his grandson. Uh, There was, I think an FX show that was like coming out Mm. like the very next month trust
1: yeah okay did you watch that at all josh or did you i see, didn't think about No. It? i just i heard a lot about the comparison about the fact that like what you're saying there was <laughs> a race because that to was which one was going to come out it wasn't
2: just an oscar push for all the money in the world uh that they were like hey let's see if we can like recut this and reshape this with entirely new cast member in four weeks uh because you would think okay you just push it to next summer like you, you know you take your time mm-hmm. whatever but the tv show i think was part of that uh, the 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 deadline they were trying to meet. Honestly, it kind of felt uh, it felt like a like a sort of really like high class like HBO miniseries at times to me. Like mm-hmm. because it's a it's a movie about a process, but it's like a process of like just sort of rolling a boulder up a hill and then it just falls back on the characters. Like so, it's kind of like a frustrating watch, but intentionally frustrating because you're supposed to see it through the eyes of Michelle Williams, the mother who's just dealing with this rich asshole who could give in at any moment but it's like the purpose like my read on the character is like the only reason to be that rich is to have the ability to say no even when it's putting your grandson in danger it's just like well this is why i want to be the richest man in the world because i'm gonna i get to shock everyone by saying no
1: they will do things to paul that cannot be undone for any amount of money we have to pay this simply isn't possible my financial position has changed really I mean, 30 seconds ago, you said it was a good day. I mean, I'm not all that bright, but I can multiply as well as you. With oil up as much as it was this morning, you have amassed another fortune. Well, what if the embargo is lifted and
0: oil were to crash? I'd be exposed. I have never been more vulnerable financially than I am right now. Mr. Getty, with all due respect, nobody has ever been richer than you are at this moment.
1: I have no money to spare. What would it take? I mean, what would it take for you to feel secure? More.
2: It's hard to empathize too much with any of the characters because you just feel for Michelle Williams, who's mostly helpless, and then you're just waiting for this guy to say yes. And I think the biggest thing that works against it for me is probably Marky Mark, who's not... There's not so much Funky Bunch here. He's like... He is playing super stoic. And I know he's done that before, but I think I've sort of leaned into... Uh, I was a big fan of Instant Family, which was kind of shocking to me, like the uh, almost like parenthood style comedy that came out this past Thanksgiving. And I really uh, liked him in uh, the David O. Russell movie, I Heart Huckabees. And I think I just (laughs) like the goofier Mark Wahlberg than I do like the stone faced like badass. Yeah. And so as as I'm watching this, I'm like, man, I bet you I would love this movie if, if this was like John Hamm playing this part instead. Oh,
1: gosh. Yeah, yeah that that is a good choice.
2: I don't know if that's unfair, but it, it's not like a very showy role. But I I I feel like Mark Wahlberg's already so much of sort of a
1: blank slate that this is such a blank character that it's just a bad mix. As somebody who loves Mark Wahlberg, when when he's cast correctly, he is a limited actor, and kind of like what you're alluding to, it it requires somebody who can really pull off that stoic attitude with. Without it coming off as just a stale performance, and and it, that's very much what I feel. It's just by the numbers act. It's not a bad performance, but it's nothing. It's nothing special. It doesn't. It doesn't add anything to the movie. He's not as twitchy as I would like my fixer to be. Like, he, he's not. No. He's at his best he, when he has the ability to be mouthy.
0: <laughs> I mean, pretty much, yeah. Like you look at The Departed, and he's uh, he that, is yes, so that's intense. One of my Yes. Yeah. In every scene. And he also doesn't overstay his welcome. He comes in, <laughs> does his thing and gets out. The trouble is really like even if he was very showy, I don't think the character is written very interestingly. I, I don't, none of the characters are frankly interesting aside from, of course, Getty. And I think if, if the film had focused on him the whole way and maybe this would have been kind of a buyout pick with with a little bit of historical context that would have been much more fascinating because the whole time this film doesn't have any narrative uh, um push like i don't feel it's not like you mentioned like going up the the hill with the, the pushing the boulder up the hill i feel like you're just pushing it on a complete like flat surface like there's no momentum <laughs> at all i i think about this especially in the sequence where um they're like oh this is a hoax he's just like trying to get get money out of his grandfather and then you know within like a, a scene or two like oh no wait it's real it's like what was the point of any of this so um there's no peaks and troughs at all uh, it, it's just kind of flat uh and and everybody's doing the best they can with the material and especially plumber uh which is uh, i you know the most interesting aspect behind and in front of the camera uh but th- that's really for me the crux of you know the potato here like i i can't quite get myself to care about um anything besides this uh, enigma i at, think that's heart. really interesting because
2: normally i would hate like a biopic that's mm-hmm. about someone's life I, I I like the ones where it's well, the um, definition of a
0: biopic. is it? No,
2: like, well, I'm thinking like the aviator, which is something I really like, but okay. it's not, it doesn't yeah. go into Howard Hughes wearing tissue boxes on his feet. Like we don't need the totality of his life. We just need a segment. And so yes. this is kind of that, but unfortunately okay. it's so far removed from just being John Paul Getty's perspective. That it doesn't feel like it's like, this could have been like the aviator, except it's about that point in his life. Like the, you know, he's, he's sort of facing the end and like, unfortunately for him, this is kind of like his sign off on life was
1: when he refused to pay for his grandson's life. (laughs) I I tell you something that kind of bummed me out on the process of watching it, which, you know, this being faced on real life events. Uh, I say that hesitantly because I guess even though this was based on the the book that was kind of written about it, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think the family has necessarily been real, uh, outspoken about how things happened. so there's still just a lot of this that's speculation as far as the behind the scenes tensions and the, the characters motivations and, and, and everything but I was kind of hoping early on because I, I didn't know much about the story I'd never looked that much into it
0: Yeah, me um,
1: I was kind of hoping that Christopher Plummer's character uh, Paul Getty was kind of a step ahead of everybody a little bit that maybe because like, early on he mm. was he was talking about you know, how how you do business and how you bargain and stuff. I was like, well, maybe he's coming off as cold, but uh, he he mentions that he he says that line about um if he pays the ransom for one grandchild, he'll be paying ransoms for fourteen grandchildren, you know, and that's very much true. That's, you know, America's stance is we don't negotiate with terrorists and et cetera, et cetera. So at first I was really hoping, I was like, Well maybe maybe he's kind of gonna be a little artful in how he handles this and and I felt like they were alluding to that. And then by the end of it, you're like, Oh no, this is just a selfish bastard. who's not willing to well, pay he, up some money. He just won't be, he wants to be flirted with a bit
2: more. Like it's like, yeah. cause by the end he does give in to a certain degree as far. But it's like, he realized once he says yes, no one has any more use for him. Like there's nothing, nothing else
1: about him that people will like want from him other than his money. He wasn't negotiating with, the kidnappers. He was negotiating with his daughter in law. He was using it as a play to get the, the the kids, you know, into his possession. Uh so that said, um I was uh <laughs> I, I was really wondering uh if Mike was setting up a ringer <laughs> with to go up against Phantom Thread when when you picked this movie because <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let me let me defend myself here. Uh, and now I did mention it came in seventh place, so didn't set the world on fire. But the only other one would have been nope, nope. It is it was the only wide release that weekend.
0: Well, it's coming out of the holiday season, and and generally movies like this don't do well around the Christmas day. Like I remember, um, uh, uh, "Girl with the Dragon Tattoo." Fincher had a pretty good marketing campaign. The feel mm-hmm. bad movie of the year. Like nobody saw it. Like I went to the theater. That's but- a great line. And I went to see it opening weekend as well. But, yeah. yeah, are you convincing
2: families to be like, oh, awesome. Can't wait to feel bad <laughs> for this. Right. See a lot of rape. And here there's going to be, uh, you yeah, know, we're going to cut off a kid's ear. And we're going to yeah, see a, right.
0: a nice old grandfather say no
2: <laughs> over and <laughs> over again.
0: <laughs> it's it's like Scrooge, except, you know, it ends 15 minutes a little early. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the the sin the movie commits is –
1: there are so many things that point to it thinking that it's a more important movie than what it is. (laughs) It's a Ridley Scott movie released on Christmas day. It's over two hours. You had all this drama about recasting Kevin Spacey and, you know, spending the money for reshoots and stuff. All this leads you to think like, this must be a pretty important movie. This must be a pretty big event movie. And then you watch it and you're like, no, not at all. I mean, it was a good movie. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. Like what Mike said, toss it in on a Sunday evening, enjoy it, whatever, and educate yourself a little bit on it. But uh, all that stuff kind of builds up as to being this more uh, consequential movie, and it just isn't.
0: It's a minor entry in Scott's uh, filmography, and it's really well made. Uh, If you didn't know about the the behind-the-scenes fiasco, I don't think you'd ever even think about it uh, or ever even um, – there's no clue of it. There's no mustache that you're like, hey, wait a minute. That upper lip is weird. I, I, I liked a lot of the, you know, uh, the direction. I liked the performances. I just could not get excited about the narrative at all. And granted, this, my second viewing was better than my first.
2: I'm going to take you to task a little bit on that because you sent me a text saying, hey, I'm watching it, And it's not too bad this time around. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. then you, the follow up text was, I got the digital code for three bucks. And I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's worth $3. I'll grant you that.
0: <laughs> right. And I'm actually excited to see the uh, the, the the features because uh, there, a few of them i will never listen to i think a ridley scott commentary again after hearing um uh, alien covenant where he recites the film because i think he's just too old maybe i don't know but it was there's nothing interesting (laughs) about it what do you mean he was like he just
2: repeats what a character just said or he's just telling you like he's reading from a book here's the story
0: he's he's like well this is where the alien's gonna come out up there it is you know (laughs) stuff like that i'm
2: like this is nonsense you kind of have me intrigued to see his like almost like nfl <laughs> commentary like he's the play-by-play man for his movies
0: yeah no it, it was not good and and the whole time i'm like well and what i used to do uh with the dvd copy that would just rip the commentary mp3 and listen to it so i'm walking around the mall listening to this and i'm like this is nonsense <laughs> i just want to watch the movie so, uh, yeah.
2: You are listening to it in the worst way because you're not even <laughs> getting the, like, and there's the alien because you're not even oh, seeing no. the visual cues. Exactly. I uh, also we just kind of the... let go of the fact that you're walking around the mall listening to the Alien Covenant <laughs> audio commentary as <laughs> a ripped MP3.
1: I think we're overlooking the the exciting possibility of digitally replacing Kevin Spacey with... Christopher Plummer in all of his old movies. Mm. Like, I'm I'm imagining the uh, American Beauty uh, shower stroking it scene. Yeah. <laughs> or, I'm uh, just imagining Christopher Plummer in the garage just getting jacked up. Just
2: <laughs> <laughs> lifting weights. <laughs>
1: there was some unintentional humor in this movie, too. Uh, I kind of... I could, at, early on, I was comparing this movie to Compliance. Have, have either of you watched the movie Compliance... From 2012.
0: Oh, that was the one uh, with the uh, um, fast food restaurant lady. That
1: yeah. I, I, oh yeah. I yeah.
0: The, I heard the story pretty in depth behind it. That's why I didn't get into the movie. But uh, yeah, right, right. And so I I was aware mildly of the story, but
1: yeah. uh, I looked into it more after I watched the movie. But <clears throat> my first instinct when watching the movie is like, this is ridiculous. You know, there's no way. Mm-hmm people were this um, ignorant and did these things. And I was claiming it as a fault to the movie. But then when I have read what actually happened, I'm like, no, I guess people were that that ignorant and stuff. And watching, like, these kidnappers early on in this movie, they were so incompetent. I mean, constantly forgetting their masks. <laughs> Each one of them, like, whoops, you, you saw my face. I'm it like, is
2: interesting is... that you're bringing up a movie, because <laughs> in All the Money in the World, it's a guy who's saying no for, like, two hours. They'll finally yeah. yes in compliance it is someone saying okay i guess whatever you're asking me i guess i'll do it
1: yeah yeah it's the 180 of this one yeah so uh i mean some of that stuff kind of tickled me but then, i mean are you talking about compliance still no no, because it is a very dark movie no
2: i'm not not talking about compliance
1: pat healy is
2: uh not a guy you want to have a phone conversation with in that movie victim's story what our
1: issue at hand is where is the money you see does she have anything in her pockets what what is the suspect
2: wearing at this time
1: i you know she doesn't really have pockets to have anything in
2: all strip searcher
1: she's wearing an apron right now okay why don't you calm down i'm gonna need you to inspect her (laughs) what kevin why don't you stop laughing and calm down okay
0: what what the fuck are are you talking about okay i'm gonna need you to address
1: me as a sir understand no you don't want your boss having that conversation anyways
0: (laughs) There's intentional humor actually in the film too, and I don't know why it's there. Uh, like at the end, where they're fine, finally negotiating, and he's saying that he can give the money to his son and get a uh, uh, and get a tax write off. And Michelle Williams, the the brilliant line where she just sums up exactly what he just said. He's like, "Oh, you found a way to you know turn your ransom into a into a tax write." It's like that line was clearly there for a laugh. I don't know. It just feels <laughs> out, out of place. I think, yeah, at that point, I don't think you're really.
2: I think you're ready to be done with this whole shenanigan. Like you're just, yeah, you're just tired. I think it gets
1: across the feeling of the characters too much in that regard. Yeah, well, that was certainly the point where I, I wrote off any possibility that he was like playing his own game to get the kid back. I was like, no, no, he's uh <laughs> He's really just that tot. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, let's move over to Phantom Thread which uh yeah. mostly
1: sucked. I think we can all agree. It's pretty bad. Oh. Um come now, Mike.
0: Nobody's <laughs> buying that. Well, this film was not able to penetrate me uh like in, on any kind of emotional level. Oh, it penetrated uh, oh. me over and over. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it with my brother, who is one of the most elitist, you know, film film individuals I've ever been. And he he really dug it and, and it like touched him to the core, whereas I was less impressed, not impressed, um, moved. I was not moved, but I was very impressed with all the technical aspects of this film. What is it that like really resonates with you guys uh, uh, that this film did or or you know how it affected you i will jump into this because this was my number one movie of
1: last year uh i I did love it second that it was also my favorite film last year
0: so
2: web prepared to be reprimanded
0: (laughs) (laughs) two voices i I dug it i i I liked it a lot well now as you know as to how you
1: set it up i can't say that the movie like personally moved me in in terms Mm of like um it's not necessarily that it's like relatable to me. No, I don't relate to it in terms of what the characters go through or, or well, anything I find like it, that.
2: I find it very relatable. I thought all of us would. Like I thought the reason we don't have our regular third host on here is because he's the only unmarried one. So I thought like <laughs> three married dudes getting on here talking Phantom <laughs>
1: Thread. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. Uh certainly the uh <laughs> the scenes where he's having his moments and uh somebody pouring the The water a little too high from the glass or buttering their toast the, the wrong way. Um, God bless my wife. She was all in favor
2: of Damon Day-Lewis as Mr. Woodcock here when his wife butters her toast that way. I mean, I could see my wife twitch when she, she and she said, why, why does she insist on doing it that way? And I'm like, all right, that's noted. That's,
1: <laughs> I will not make that mistake. Um but you know, saying that, that aside, it's very much kind of a I don't know, it seems just personal to that character. You know, you can see that he has this this meticulous world tailored to him perfectly. Uh you, you know everybody knows to fall in line and I guess as to what speaks to me about the movie though is just it's it's fascinating to look at. I mean you're you're taking a subject matter that personally I could really care less about. <laughs> I, I have no interest in fashion uh you know, how dresses are made or, or anything about that world, really. But, yeah, it it drew me in because I was just fascinated by how meticulous, meticulous the character was and this little world he's created for himself. And so that in and of itself was interesting. But then <laughs> when you start to get into a little stranger waters with what uh, I can't remember the character's name, the, the love interest uh Alma? alma yeah uh when 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 she starts to realize that like she's going to have to do something to keep her position <laughs> around the house and it, it's literally to uh make him sick and to literally need her it, the i don't know the the philosophy behind that becomes really intriguing then um I, I was really interested in the layers of like what this means in terms of relationship and for this character in particularly, but maybe even, you know, what do we as normal human beings, not in this Woodcock world, uh, what do we do to one another in our relationships that might be a negative, but it actually is good for the relationship? It's very weird. It's very kind of dark, but it just it, it left me with a lot of think, a lot to think about. I agree. I mean, I, I see it as a big
2: positive <clears throat> for not necessarily uh purposely poisoning your uh, loved one and the loved one <laughs> that being a sort of pillow talk where it's like kiss me now before i'm sick baby like <laughs> you know <laughs> but i don't think your every man or every woman like uh would probably say like oh that's just like me and my uh my honey i don't i don't think so right. but i do think everyone could take on a more positive bent the need to be challenged by your partner. Mm-hmm. And like you, Josh, you mentioned okay. that he's someone that has everything set to fall in line. And this yep. is like the structure of the world. And from a professional sense, you can side with that. And you're like, okay, like he's, he's successful. This is what works. Mm-hmm. But it, it just briefly gets into uh, the beginning of the film. There's another woman like in the mm-hmm. house that you assume is his partner, at least at that time. And you just you just see the end of it, which the end of it is funny because it's a lot like the buttering of the toast that you'll see later with the woman that will dominate the film and the rest of his life. But for whatever reason, she finds a way to navigate those waters, challenge him, and he has the instinct to get rid of her multiple times to say this is not oh, working yeah. out. He wants to run away from this. <clears throat> but I think it's important that we start by seeing that there was another woman in that position that he had a relationship with. And it was the same minor bullshit annoyance that caused him to say, this isn't working out. Mm-hmm. I think I think we have to have that first woman to have some sort of buy into Reynolds and Alma that he needs to see this through because he doesn't see anything through. And also from a professional sense, there is the one scene where he's like very upset I think maybe even more so than anything that's going on in his personal life where he's talking to his sister who's sort of, I guess his manager of sorts mm-hmm. about why someone is no longer like going to him to like make their dresses. And she's sort of matter of fact, like, well, you know, this is people, sometimes people just want to change. They just want to say they're wearing something else. Like it's not that you've done anything wrong or that you've changed or you're a lesser craftsman. It's just that this is the fashion industry and people are always chasing the new, but she's kind of commenting on him too. And maybe this idea that he needs to, like, constantly be, like, looking over the fence at something else. Because I would say that the meet-cute as such, when he meets Alma, is there anything really in particular that makes you think, oh, this is the
0: one for each of them? Like, it, no. I, I don't think so. It, it just seems I, so inconsequential. Oh, man. I love that scene so much. Like, I really like, like, uh, and that's the way kind of love is. And I'm not saying this was love. Over Overeating? Webb, is that what turns
2: you on? Because Woodcock, (laughs) he puts it away, man. My goodness, what he's ordering there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I like the fact, well, it it starts off with him challenging her. You know, he's like, are you going to remember this? And you know, and so it's almost like a, a not an audition, but it, it ultimately it's what it is. It's a test to see if if she can hang with him, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I like that. I really like that meet cube moment. Um, well, why didn't it work for you? I don't think that,
2: you know, if I've seen a guy who's just <laughs> basically told his sister, "Hey, dump, dump this woman that's living with me because she's getting, an, you know, she's annoying to me at the breakfast table." um mm-hmm. and you know he has no time no time for any sort of <laughs> conflict conversation can't deal with it i wouldn't think that this sort of mild flirtation over food would be like oh mm-hmm. this is like this. you often see in movies with like a i guess like a playboy type you see like they build up the one that he like sells down with is that there was something different about her mm-hmm. like something that he's, somehow she was able to like thaw this like Iceman. And, like, I think of, like, Crazy Stupid Love, which is a movie I really like.
1: Yeah, me too. And it helps
2: that it's, it's Emma Stone, and she's very charming. But since in that movie we don't see anyone else that Ryan Gosling sleeps with, we're just, I guess, assuming, we're meant to assume that Emma Stone is different because they had a conversation. But he probably had lots of conversations with other nice young women, and he just ignored it. And I, th- I think what I like about Phantom Thread is that meet cute. He's probably had a hundred of those like mild flirtations mm. over breakfast when he's single, when he's on the prowl, it's the real like sort of love story. i that I gravitate to is sticking through the obnoxious shit. <laughs> and, and then there's <laughs> one, there's one scene that is so hilarious to me. Cause web, I, I kind of agree with Josh that I don't think this movie like moved me. Like it did your brother. Okay. I thought it was like w- one of the best comedies I'd seen in years. Like when he, <laughs> when Danny day Lewis comes home, <laughs> and his wife has decided to do something special for him and has sent yeah. the entire workforce home to make him dinner and bef- before anything has happened before you know you get to the the way she's prepared the meal which he really doesn't like and he he admires his own gallantry for stomaching like the food she's prepared <laughs> for him before yeah. any of that his face when he looks up the stairs and it's a beautifully lit, beautifully composed shot. Like the lightweight glistens off Daniel Day Dan hair. He looks up at his gorgeous bride who's done something sweet for him and he is crushed. He's absolutely crushed <laughs> that his <laughs> sister's not around. It's a not around that. Something new has been introduced to his world and he's devastated. And he actually, he's devastated at the
0: act. <laughs> he actually takes a moment and goes like I must process this. <laughs> you know? And yeah, there there is a lot of that. And there's a lot of I, I wonder if this was intentional too. Like in the very beginning where he's discussing um his mother, he's like, I believe my mother is here or there. He's like, I don't think that's spooky at all. <laughs> Lines like that really do. It's like make me um, raise an eyebrow and and it starts to get into that comedy.
2: I think it's a trap. A lot of people can fall into like when they're, they're happy where they are professionally, personally, whatever the, the sum of their life, they're happy with it that they become like crazed or they become like very depressing people, even in their happiness that they want it to stay entirely stagnant and frozen. And that's, that's Mm. kind of the thing with the, the ghost thing with his mom is he's not spooked out by it because it's like, he just wants it to stay as it was. And like anything, anything that deviates from that, he's kind yeah. of just a guy that's afraid. He's like afraid of life, which is weird. Cause he has all these people that take care of the real world stuff. Like poor Cyril, who's the MVP of the movie. When she, <laughs> she looks at Danny Day Lewis with his bed head and says, basically don't fuck with me. I'll put you <laughs> right on the floor. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll you. <clears throat> you know, you, you both actually make really good points sometimes when i a movie doesn't uh, um uh, impress me or leaves that kind of a lasting impression i guess um right away i have to look for a reason uh, of why it didn't and i was like oh well i like i liked a lot of this movie it just because i didn't relate to it or because it didn't affect me emotionally you know i then that, that maybe that's why so i do tend to project that so i do apologize for that um in terms of the subject matter and josh you mentioned uh, um not war- ca- you know caring about the world of fashion earlier this year heidi klum and tim gunn decided they're not coming back for another seat of project runway and i was crushed because I've seen... you had that Dan day lewis look you were like perfectly
2: lit as you looked up at your screen <laughs> <laughs>
0: I needed to take a moment to process what I was reading on her Instagram account, and I was yeah, I was really bummed out about that. And so, uh, and that's something my wife and I do uh, pretty regularly. In um, fact, we started going through the old seasons and, and um, catching up. Maybe so this is why this.
2: you didn't like this as much because clearly you're more tapped into the fashion world than Josh or myself.
0: <laughs> I'm really more yeah, I'm, I'm all about that. He. I was, uh, you know, in that moment where his sister can't process the fact that he fell over and the dress who fell over What the, that dress at what now, another brilliantly, I think comedic scene in that moment, she could, she also can't fathom what's happening. I was, I, was, I felt very much like that throughout the film. Um, no, I, I was totally in it, uh, uh all the way in terms of its, its content and, um, yeah I, for whatever reason i 'm not sure why, and the thing is this is my second viewing, and I was more much more impressed than my first one, so perhaps it 's just going to take me a little time to get to there um, i 'm on kind of a, a a mission to not like on letterbox i don 't put ratings in anymore I wait um mm-hmm. and whenever like the mood strikes me like I need to write something down about this movie I like a write a review and then give a rating. I'm trying my best to not immediately be like, oh, this is the best of the year. Oh, this is a five-star film. You know, whatever. And with with this one, I think uh, it, it kind of – it's a great example of that. It's like initially I, I, I would have not given it as high a rating. Sometimes you just need to let these things digest. Like I could not get into Jean-Luc Godard when I first saw uh, his work. Like Breathless – um, the Criterion, like yeah, you know, I think there's something on the back. It's like th- there was a time before Breathless and after Breathless, and I'm like, and I watched Breathless, and I was like, wow, nothing's changed. And then it just took me a little, took me a little while to really appreciate what was happening. I do seen not this know kind
2: of how much I enjoy that. view <laughs> watching a Criterion collection film, <laughs> it ends, credits roll, <laughs> you pick up your remote, turn your TV off, look around your house. Nope, nothing's changed. <laughs> Everything is exactly. <laughs> this is bullshit. Well, I'm still me. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, Antonioni it was kind of like that as well for me. I don't know. Have you guys seen uh, like *Clash Laventura, Aventura? Um, Aventura*? Like his. Uh, uh, um, Stop trying like to add classes.
2: Web first. First, you go to Heidi Klum. <laughs> now you're <laughs> you're going it's to films I can't even world. pronounce.
0: I'm a man of the world. The trilogy of like discontent, I, I think, what it's called for him, and he—he, he, it's a completely different kind of filmmaking. And with PTA, I feel like uh, he's always challenging you in in different regard. Like Inherent Vice is so different than Phantom Thread, uh, oh. and, and I and I loved Inherent Vice like almost immediately. Um, Cronenberg's that way too. Like you can watch The Fly and then Cosmopolis, and like what the hell's going on? Um, And you can love things in their own way. So, yeah, with, with Phantom Thread, I am approaching that level of... That's interesting, because I, I would argue that Inherent Vice is a far more challenging one
2: to love initially. I would really? think most people. I would think they would... Uh, I'll shout out to uh super fan of Silver Cinema Hiro from True Romance, who despises Inherent Vice, despises <laughs> it. And Josh, that um, under, the, under the Silver Lake, which you and I both were sort of like... Going nuts Very about. much I,
1: felt like Inherent Vice.
2: So Hyrule was like, hey, how is it? And I'm like, I don't think you're going to dig it, dude. And he goes, why? <laughs> I'm like, well, it's a lot like Inherent Vice. He's like, all right, done. No, <laughs> no need. <laughs> but I do think like Phantom Thread is far more approachable, even if you're not like a Paul Thomas Anderson fan. I think just a general audience. Now, the first time I watched it in theaters, me, my wife, and our friend Shane from War Machine vs. Divorce, we were the only ones in the theater laughing because it's like everyone else <laughs> – there was a lot of older people and they were seeing like a prestige Uh-oh. movie about a dressmaker. And I heard this got nominated for Oscars. And it's like, we can't laugh at this. Cause it's not, it can't be intentionally funny. Cause this type of film, won't do it? And I, I think like, no, this is like the artiest version of an episode of everybody loves Raymond. You'll ever see about <laughs> a guy coming home from work and hating his wife, <laughs> hating her so much. <laughs> but he can't leave because he's in a sitcom like you you can never leave (laughs) that's Daniel day lewis in this movie phantom thread as i'm making fun of the audience the audience that refused to laugh uh a lot of white folks and not just that but the demo was also substantially older that i was seeing it with in the theater (laughs) uh inherent vice was a little bit more diverse the audience I, i i think it's just you know it's the subject matter, the time, and maybe the tone, the way they market the movie. Yeah. Because um, the true. problem I had with *Fan Thread when I was trying to tell people, like, "Is my favorite movie, was uh, I think they were thinking I was being elitist as far as picking oh. it. And I'm like, no, no, this is, like, probably... Like, I'm trying to think. Like, other than maybe Boogie Nights, I think this is his most... To me, his most entertaining movie. Like, I got to throw this on and just have fun with this. Uh, I think, like, there will be blood as far... You know, far more artsy than that. But yeah. I, it's funny, though, as that movie has gone on, uh, I don't know if you all feel this way, that I feel like it's caught on where it's become this, in a positive way, because I don't really like Scarface, but sort of a modern Scarface, where those, like, I drink mm. your milkshake, that stuff, like, people get that reference, and they like they like seeing, like, such a vile, like, super capitalist character, like, conquer all. Um, but I still think yeah. that this one is far more palatable then there will be blood which i believe doesn't it start out with like 20 minutes of no dialogue yeah so that's right i mean this to me is a romantic comedy like a true romantic comedy
0: i i think it is definitely a cinephile's romantic comedy though uh, i think because have faith in people web my goodness uh, no i agree <laughs> I, with web
2: oh, <laughs> yeah i bet you i could put this in front of my dad and he would laugh yeah. his ass off at this if I could <laughs> if I didn't tell him the title of it and if I like let's just say it was on for whatever reason the TNT test <laughs> if this ever aired on TNT and he just jumped into <laughs> Danny Lewis <laughs> heckling his women and his women <laughs> heckling him back my dad would greatly enjoy this
1: maybe a little too you're much okay. here's where you're both right is that at its core mock you are right but PTA did put the veneer of a prestige movie over it you know like because. I think people approach this as that dressmaker movie. But is it as (laughs) funny (laughs) if it doesn't have that veneer, though? Yeah, you're right. It's just, you're going I don't know how many, for lack of a better term, you know, common people in terms of the movie goers go, are going to sit through (laughs) that initial. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) those (laughs) muggles. Um, How many of them are going to sit through that initial? Like, uh, this seems a little snooty to me, you know, before they get to that part of it. And And even then, they might even be questioning, like, I don't know if this is intended to be funny or not. You know, I mean, maybe somebody, your dad would would have your twisted humor as well and uh, pick up on it. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I don't know if it's there for the, the the standard audience for them to pick up on it. I certainly agree with it. I mean, I, I, I love it. Uh, you know what? I'm going to put this to the test. Because I still
2: have to finish some Christmas shopping this weekend. You're going to buy it for your dad. I'm going to buy it for my dad. (laughs) (laughs) And on a future episode, (laughs) I'm going to report back.
0: I I would love to. Yeah, I I think that would be really neat. This is actually one that – so I'm off Thursdays and Fridays. Uh, That's my work schedule right now. And so my wife is at work. And so I purposely watched it while she was at work because I was like, I don't know if she would dig this. And I think that might be a litmus test at some point as well to see what she thinks of it. Um, but that, that's, that's not a bad idea. I think I, I always kind of, I, I never give my wife enough credit sometimes because sometimes when I introduce her to certain films, uh, like maybe she'll like this. And or maybe when I take a chance, like it, it doesn't work out. Like when we went to watch hereditary, that was a bad idea. Like... Yes, it was. <laughs> oh my,
2: you your mouth. <laughs> that's our most current episode up, web, And, uh, me and Josh, we disagree okay. on that one. Thankfully, we had a guest, and it was a 2-2. It was an even split. You know what? All right, Josh, I'll give you the opportunity here. Web, break the tie. Where'd you, where'd you stand on Hereditary?
0: I think I liked it formally, <laughs> but by the end of it, I was very uh, much not a fan of of what was happening on screen. <laughs> I, I appreciate That actually sounds like my pretty much my take on it. Very ed- edge-of-seat, cringeworthy moments. There's a lot of good horror in it, but uh, I felt like everything that was done with especially with like the death of the child and every the, the decapitation and all, all that it's it, it's kind of a joke to the filmmaker by the end of it and it's like i'm not laughing buddy i don't know okay. like, that's my very quick okay. knee-jerk reaction right now i think that is, uh, is three, a three two three I two question <laughs>
1: and it's how much did mark pay you before <started>? And how much did you all discuss this conversation before this? Episode?
2: It does. It does sound a little suspicious, doesn't it? That Web's yes. like, you know, a movie we just watched Hereditary. That was a bad idea. And you know what? I'm gonna reiterate every point Mike made. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I, I will give the film a lot of credit for creating images that will stick with me for a while. Like, yes. I I want to revisit it, but I also don't want to. And maybe that's the mark of a good horror film because it achieved what it wanted to. It, it genuinely disturbed me to the point where I no longer want to watch it again. And and what you know, I guess I, I'm interested. How about this? I'm interested to see what this filmmaker does next. But yeah, I'm just I glad, like glad I, I have this. final
2: cut on these. So I'm going to cut around where you say I never want to watch that again. And <laughs> 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 all right. So we'll, we'll uh, wrap up here with our, our sort of premise. Now, all the money in the world did open well, critically, uh, 78%. And unfortunately for it, it, I think, had a, a budget of 50 million is what they're claiming. I don't know if that counts Reshoots and all that—that was was added
1: into it. Most
0: of it's Marky Mark's salary. I think
1: I read that uh, they had 10 million to work with for the reshoots. Okay, Mm -hmm. Uh, it did not uh, end up
2: making its uh, money back. To be honest, Phantom Thread did not uh, either. So, like domestically, all the money in the world did 25 million, and worldwide 56. So, yeah, it was not not a hit. Uh, But critically, 78 percent, maybe not, you know. Oscar push worthy but and I also wonder if the critics were they being more kind given the production yeah. history I, I, I read know. a lot
0: of uh, like Plumber's the reason to go see this like and and that was kind of the big highlight and a lot of, and the user score or excuse me the, the like the, the the critical scores were a lot of like 2.5 out mm. of like fours and five, So that tomato meter might be a little skewed.
2: Phantom Thread uh, ended up at uh, 47 million worldwide on a budget of 35 million. So also not a huge financial success, but it's uh this is probably not going to be a surprise with the PTA joint, uh, 91% on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. So um, the premise of our show, you know, do one of these films, do they deserve more or less attention than they initially got and this one's kind of interesting because both of them seem to be fairly critically well received but also neither one was a huge box of a success i think it's unfair to toss it at me and josh since we're like phantom thread number one movie of the year so <laughs> it deserves all of that and more so web but what, what, what's your take on these
0: two does one deserve to be higher up i i don't think that like you mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show that the film the Phantom Thread uh, has more of a following, and then while that might be true, I think it has the same following that all of other PTAs work has. I don't think it ever branched out of his specific audience. Um, you and wait I think till the Christmas both... Day at the Deniston family <laughs> gathering. <laughs> and... <laughs> Absolutely. I think both films got the right amount of uh, uh, credit for how good they are, and then that is specifically for Phantom Thread. I think that might change for me later on because it, it, it like my second viewing was much better than my first um but with all the all the money in the world yeah that that's about right i don't i mean i'm sure it lost money when you factor in a promotional and especially with all the yeah the negative press they had to deal with before and after um with with phantom thread uh i could definitely see it it gaining more of a following uh like it it gaining more fans as you know every time PTA's work comes out, I'm sure a few more people latch on to it because he has a very varied filmography. I think he has something for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so that'll attract more individuals to it. Yeah, with with all the money in the world, it's really more about content. Ridley Scott is the ultimate, like awesome director for hire. I think he has some genuine masterpieces, obviously, but you know, for the most part, he's he's uh very much um like, hey, let's get this guy to do this film. That's Whereas a good PTA point. Is yeah,
2: because PTA is yeah. like following your favorite band and like going yeah. from like Revolver to to bring back Josh's gold record on the wall that he's a part of to like I don't mm-hmm. know the White album. Like you're gonna have yeah. that varied sort of like it, it's gonna be cool to see him grow uh to that yeah. to go from Hard Eight or Sydney to Phantom Thread. I hadn't really thought about that way, but yeah, I don't think anyone mentions Ridley Scott in that vein, that you take the entirety of the filmography and you're following an artist. uh, Yeah. (laughs) As much as can be stated for someone who's very successful and probably a millionaire so many times over, sort of more blue collar than PTA in that regard. Like, someone has an interesting story, I can do that. Oh, yeah. need to recast it? I can do that. Give me Thanksgiving weekend, I'll fix this right up. <laughs>
0: Pretty <laughs> much, and so that I, I will give him a lot of props for that. Like that, and if anybody could do it, it'd be Ridley Scott. He he just he's been around the business forever. He just he knows what he's doing. So I, I do trust him in that, and especially with it, he's the guy that has I feel like the most director's cuts or alternate versions of films, and he he knows how to do it. So I'm very glad that that all worked out. And that's even a plus, even just on, you know,
1: observing the, the movie making process is to watch this movie and know that they did what they did with it, you know, replacing a character. I think they said the reshoots took place within like eight days mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, That doesn't really factor into the quality of the film overall in terms of how much you enjoy it or you take away from it. But it's to be admired, at, especially from a director's point of view of like, man, he pulled that off, you know, and so it, it definitely gets points for that.
2: Do you think they'll ever release a uh, web? You can open that door. The spacey version. I, I don't
1: think so. I think um, unless it leaks out. If I was a bean counter and
2: I'm looking at that and said, "Hey, we lost money on this," I I might I might throw it on there to another Blu-ray version of it because I that's... don't think
1: Scott. I don't think Ridley Scott will. I, I don't yeah. know. It's like the well, final say and stuff like that. But I don't think he, he'll have anything well, to do with that.
0: Before Kevin Spacey was hired, like he wanted, uh, the studio wanted Spacey because he was a bigger name with House of Cards and all that. Right. His yeah, his original um person he wanted was Chris Plummer. So it ultimately all worked out for him. And yeah. and honestly, like I'm very anti prosthetics when it comes to like oh we need to get an old guy, just get an old actor. So I think it worked out for the better ultimately. Also contributes to our mutual hatred
2: of hereditary <laughs> anti prosthetics, anti creepy Mike, faces,
1: <laughs> Mike don't go down that road uh, oh, yeah, don't we... don't drag Webb's name into that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> all right I won't
2: do that but uh Webb where can uh where can people follow you uh online uh, if you so choose
0: um you can find me on twitter at uh web is trying um it's I, the I most took me honest a while. Twitter though. handle of all time. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and in about a uh, in about a month, uh, depending on when this baby decides to show up, uh, you you can also find me on Instagram posting. Huh. Yeah, I'm gonna be that dad. I'm gonna be posting a ton of like baby crap. So, uh, and I figured like let me separate Twitter and and Instagram for that. I've never really used Instagram, but it's gonna all be for for uh, for baby stuff. So, well, yeah. As as a
1: father of two, and congratulations. Thank uh, you. And, but but uh, yeah, that you know the pride factor. It's it's gonna be you know taking pictures of. Every, everything that you find significant, which sadly to a lot of other people probably won't be that significant, but as that proud father, you're going to be documenting everything. What well, Webb's the way to go.
2: not saying is that there's going to be a picture of his newborn, and then there's going to be a picture of this new Criterion that he just bought, <laughs> or his new setup. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's going to be mixed yeah. in with baby pictures. But the picture of the baby you know i'm sure webb will observe the baby and think yeah life's different now not not after
0: the criterion that he sat down <laughs> no
1: no difference now <laughs> yeah
0: maybe in one hand magnificent ambersons in the other i'm like i love them both equal. <laughs> a lot of that a lot of that's gonna be happening <laughs>
1: Scotch on the rocks, please. Any Scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps. I think maybe that's good.
2: That's a good, that's a good way blend. to end it. It's kind of positive and also heartbreaking as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Looking at the child, why aren't you in 4K? What's wrong with you? <laughs> I, I,
0: didn't
1: quite it, just I didn't quite mean it like that. But, uh, I was alluding to his experience of the movie he watched earlier. You know, but.